Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Recently on Veterans Day, we celebrated the amazing contributions of our veterans who have been willing to lay down their lives for their country. Mark Riley's late father-in-law, Jim Downing in the U.S. Navy, was at a Bible study the morning of the day Pearl Harbor was attacked. He set out to save lives in the aftermath and spent a great part of his life working to save souls. Mark Riley pays tribute to his wife's late father ahead. Next, you may know him as the founder of the successful youth ministry, Dare to Share, but Greg Steer comes from a rough background, born to a mother not married to his father, but who saw God work in a mighty way in his family to bring a number of them to Christ, which impacted him and what he does today. Some comments from him are coming up. Also on this edition of The Intersection, comments from Karen Wingate, who's literally learned to see with new eyes. She was born legally blind and has experienced increased eyesight through a corrective procedure, but she has also learned to see life through the eyes of the Lord. You'll be hearing about her journey coming up. Finally, it's back to Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the Fall 2021 Christian Product Expo near St. Louis. You'll be hearing from Kirsten Panachida, who addresses the topic of mental illness in children. She has walked that road with her son, who is bipolar, and offers perspective for parents wishing to understand and to help children who have mental struggles. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Mark Riley is married to the daughter of the late Jim Downing, who passed away several years ago at the age of 100. Retired Lieutenant Downing was there to help the victims of the attack of Pearl Harbor as a servant and served his country in the U.S. Navy and his lord through the Ministry of the Navigators, having become one of the earliest members of that organization. He wrote a book called The Other Side of Infamy, My Journey Through Pearl Harbor and the World of War, to pay tribute to the life of service lived by Jim Downing, here is Mark Riley. Mark, let me ask you about one of the details of December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor. Your father-in-law was not on the ship on the West Virginia at the time of the attack. And I believe that you mentioned that morning that there had been a Bible study in which he was involved. Is that correct? Yeah, he was already working with the navigators and Saturday night they had kind of a large meeting. Um, they were, st- I, I don't know the name of the navigators person's house, but they were staying. He was, he was allowed to stay off ship sometimes um, because he was a married, uh, he was a married uh, sailor. And um, so they had a, they had a large uh, like navigator meeting at Saturday night. And then a, a handful of, um, men stayed overnight and, and Marina, my mother-in-law, his wife was making them breakfast and they were, hmm. you know, basically re- reading scripture and doing a prayer meeting, a small prayer meeting, uh, when, the, when they heard the, when they heard the planes going overhead. And at first they, they weren't worried. Uh, I mean, it kind of like went through sort of the usual progression, which is like, ah, you hear, you hear, you know, large numbers of planes at Pearl you know, a lot. And then when they, the bombing started, they were like, oh, yeah. And then they do target practice from time to time. But then obviously quickly it was like, oh, wait, this is not 
you know, this is not anything normal. And, and the, the radio, they came on the radio that they were under attack. Mm. In 1935, your father-in-law made a decision that, well, changed his life, or I guess more accurately put, Christ changed his life. Take us back to that experience that he had. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're completely right. It was I guess it was April 8th, 1935, where he gave his life to the Lord. And um, he had grown up in a you know very small, uh, poor um, farming town in northeast Missouri, Plevna, Missouri. And he was a really smart, ambitious kid. And in fact, at age 10, he said he decided he was going to become president of the United States. And uh, he... Um, Anyway, the, the depression hit, and he joined the Navy because there was kind of no other way, easy easy way to get out or to you know keep body and soul together easily. So anyway, when he was in the Navy, he was doing well and he was ambitious and he was he was succeeding and you know he was going up the ranks. But he was sort of a little bit stunned that he didn't quite understand why he felt so miserable. And uh, he, he's Jim's a very straight was a very straight shooter, and in the book he says. And it seemed to me everybody else around me was miserable, too. And the proof I had was the way they kind of, you know, drank and caroused, you know, every chance they could on weekends and, you know, when they were uh, off duty and, and the like. And um, there were two or what he realized is he said, my external circumstances controlled everything. If I was doing a hard assignment, I was miserable. If I was, you know, doing a job I didn't like, I was miserable. And if I was in a situation that it did like I was happy, but it had nothing to do with him internally, he realized. And uh, there were a couple of um, men on board the ship who were Christian, and he just kind of gravitated to them and said, said to himself, essentially, what do you have that I don't? Like, I want what these guys have. And um, ironically, he was invited to a, a meeting with Dawson Trotman, you know, very, very early, early days in the Navigators, uh, in Long Beach, California, the ship, the, the West Virginia was stationed there then, and he hated it. He went to this first meeting, and, you know, it was a prayer meeting, and Dawson gave a message, and they read scripture, and he said he couldn't wait to get out of it. You know, he, uh, he in fact, he made an excuse. He said, I have to go back to the ship. And they said, oh, no, you should spend the night here. Some other, you know, sailors were doing that, and that was just a common thing. And Dawson and Lila Trotman's ministry, the, they were the they're the, the ones who founded the, the navigators and uh he said no no i have to get back to the ship and they said well the launch has already left the navy landing like you can't get back to the ship and so he basically made up this <laughs> thing and ended up spending the night on a park bench uh at the navy launch just because he wanted to get away from uh you know from uh, this christian thing you know this christian event but obviously things changed and he he said one of the biggest things that uh was an obstacle for him as he was worried he would have to become a preacher and worried he would, you know, become a missionary, which both of which ended up true, you know, that he did, you know, willingly and, and gladly. Mark Riley here on The Intersection. You can learn more about his late father-in-law, Jim Downing, by searching for Jim Downing. There's also a special page set up at the Navigators website at navigators.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Greg Steer, founder of the ministry Dare to Share. In a conversation, he discussed with me some of his backstory and how Christ worked in his life and in the lives of family members as he relates in the book called Unlikely Fighter, 
the story of how a fatherless street kid overcame violence, chaos, and confusion to become a radical Christ follower. From that Meeting House conversation, this is Greg Steer now. A lot of blood, a lot of violence, a lot of cops. I mean, just, I was raised in all this stuff. And I, I call it an unlikely fighter because I was not that way. I was a quiet, bookish kid that usually sat quietly in the corner. I did not feel like I fit into my family. And uh, I found out, you know, later I was a result of a one-night stand. Uh, my mom met a guy at a party. They partied. She got pregnant. Uh, I guess, you know, they were just a short-term relationship, and he found out she got pregnant, and he got transferred 2,000 miles away. So um, she drove from Denver to Boston to abort me. It was before Roe v. Wade, and and, um, my uncle Tommy and Aunt Carol talked her out of it. She came back, had me, and oftentimes when she would look at me, she would just burst out in tears because she just felt ashamed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so – I just was unlikely. I just I was unlikely to be born. I was did not fit into this bodybuilding, street fighting family. Um, but I became a different kind of fighter uh, over the result over the course of time when Christ came into my life and I began to realize, you know what, uh, and then to my family, and I had a different fight on my hands. It wasn't with flesh and blood. It was a fight for lost souls. So this book kind of unpacks the story of my family. And their radical conversion to Jesus Christ, um, and largely due to one preacher who was from the Deep South, but his nickname was Yankee for whatever reason. And he had planted a church in the suburbs of Denver and reached out on a dare, reached my toughest uncle with the gospel. And that began a domino effect that just swept through my family. And uh, my my uncle Jack was my toughest uncle. He'd been in and out of jail once for choking two cops unconscious at the same time. He looked he looked like the Wolverine, uh, but bigger, you know. Um, tattoos everywhere, big lamb chop sideburns, stumped like this. Uh, and Yankee went on it went to his house on a dare uh, from a guy named Bob Daly, who knew my uncle Jack but was too afraid to share the gospel with him. And Yankee went right to his door, knocked on his door. Jack came to the door, no shirt on, taps everywhere, two beer cans, one for drinking beer, one for spit and chew. He goes, what do you want? Yankee said, I'm here on a dare from Bob Daly to tell you about Jesus. He goes, well, I don't know Jesus. I know Bob. I'll give you five minutes. He sat down. Yankee explained not religion but a relationship with God, that Jesus came for sinners, that Christ paid the price for all of his sin on the cross. And he was buried and rose from the dead if you that if you trust in him alone, you have eternal life, put his faith in Christ, and then it began. I mean, my interlink trust to Christ, you know, one by one by one, my family members came to Christ. So I was a witness to all this stuff, and it really showed me as a kid, man, the power of the gospel uh, to change uh, not just my life, but my ent- an entire family. Wow. All right, so Greg, this has been, as we might say, a bit of an origins story today as we talk about what God has done in your life and also this all feeding into or contributing to the ministry of Dare to Share. So how has all of this that you've experienced in your life, how has that kind of factored in, if you will, to the ministry that you now lead today? Well, there's two things that drive me, the power of the gospel and the potential of teenagers. And 
Yankee, the guy that led my family to Christ, you know, when, when I ended up coming to Christ, I eventually went to his church, and he had a youth ministry of 800 students, and only 300 adults in his church. Yankee believed in the power of the gospel and the potential of young people. He, he used to say the fastest way to reach a city is through the young people. Get teens to come to Christ, because they come to Christ quicker and spread the gospel faster and farther than adults. So being raised in Yankee's youth ministry, I got that passion to preach the gospel and to mobilize uh, other teenagers to share the gospel with their friends. And that's really kind of what Dare to Share, you know, is it, it came out of that same DNA that reached me and my family. Now I'm just spreading all over the world through Dare to Share and mobilizing, you know, um, youth groups and youth leaders and churches everywhere to see young people reach this world with the gospel of Christ. So really it was, you know, it's right in the middle of the bullseye of why I do what I do. That was Greg Steer on the intersection. You can learn more by going to dare, the number two, share.org. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through that Meeting House homepage, you can find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection Podcast. Also through the homepage, there are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as to its Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter at Access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from The Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app, at a variety of podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Learn more at meetinghouseonline.info. Well, next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Karen Wingate. She was born legally blind and experienced improved sight through a corrective procedure. In our conversation, she shared the concept of her book about seeing through spiritual eyes entitled With Fresh Eyes. 60 Insights into the Miraculously Ordinary from a Woman Born Blind. Here now from that Meeting House conversation is Karen Wingate. I would say that I was probably totally blind when I was first born. It was like seeing life through a industrial strength shower curtain. And wow. then I had eight childhood surgeries that brought my vision up to some kind of functional level, and the doctors fit me with strong bifocals. So I was at least able, if I could get close enough to things, I, I could see some detail. I, I said I lived life in a six-foot bubble. Mm. Um, I went to public school. I, I did go to college and seminary. Um, I would use a white cane at night and in unfamiliar situations, um, raised a family, um, continued my writing career and ministered with my husband in small churches. Um, life was good. I was content. And I, since I was born this way, I knew no other way. I thought that I couldn't understand how anybody could possibly use two eyeballs at one time. Yeah. Uh, um, and then I had the corrective surgery that doubled the vision in one eye. And suddenly I was seeing things I had never seen before in detail. 
Well, you've written this book. It's called With Fresh Eyes, and I think this is a wonderful concept. It is a devotional book. I do believe that it does have some personal stories in the book. So in a sense, people get to know who you are and some matters of your own heart and your relationship with God. So it it combines, in a sense, story with the devotional elements. So give me an idea about the concept of it from your perspective. Well, after my surgery, I began seeing all these new things I'd never seen before, and I started keeping a log of them, and I'd, I'd get on Facebook, and being the excited person that I am, I would say, guess what I saw today? And we started keeping a log of all of those things, and so those became the basis of the chapters in my book, that at the beginning of each chapter, I tell about something that I saw for the first time, or I describe the detail that I saw, or I describe how God worked within that particular thing. Um and then I then I flip it to draw my re, I want to draw my reader into exploring with me. What does this tell me about God? What does it tell me about who He is, how He operates, who He loves? And you know, all of us need that fresh, closer look at God because I think when we we see God for who He is, we get that more detailed look. We'll understand more of why He is who He is or who He says He is. Well, each chapter in this book with fresh eyes actually ends with a section called Seeing with Fresh Eyes. Tell me about that that element, if you would, please. Perhaps it's the teacher in me, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, it, it's not about me. It's about all of us. And I just, I, I love making things practical. You know, I, I didn't want my readers to say, oh, you know, that's fine for you, but so what? What does this mean to me? And so Seeing with Fresh Eyes gives um, gives the reader a practical way of, okay, what can you go do about this? How can you see in fresh ways? Even though you have 20-20 vision and you're, you're, you think you're spiritually growing, how can we take this a step further? How can we all see God, see our world, see each other in, in new and fresh ways as God would like us to see? And so that's that's the purpose behind that section. All right. So, Karen, I'm going to ask you a real open-ended general question. So, How can we, as believers in Christ, we obviously want to draw closer to God. We want to grow in Him. So how do we open our eyes? I'd say first step outside your door. Take the time to pause and look at creation. Ask the questions. You know, what does this tell me about God? Start each day um, before you get out of bed by saying, God, what do you want me to see about you today? Uh, Who do you want me to see? How do you want me to see that person as you see them? Um, be be daring and just making yourself be intentional about what you see and, and how you approach God. I like to call it going on a God hunt. You know, intentionally look for God in the mm. ordinary folds of your day. And, and I promise that you will find him there. Karen Wingate here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to karenwingate.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's the author of the book entitled Among Lions, Fighting for Faith and Finding Your Rest While Parenting a Child with Mental Illness. Kirsten Panachida, join me at the Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central area at the Fall 2021 Christian Product Expo in St. Charles, Missouri. 
and she shared from her own story of having a son with a mental illness and how God has walked with her family. Here now is Kirsten Panachida. Well, for my son, it was physiological. Okay. Um, there is depression that can be triggered by something episodic. Um, that That is a possibility where it a trauma, for example, will will change the chemistry and the, the wiring uh-huh. in a person's brain. Um, with my son, and a lot of times bipolar manifests in the late teens, early 20s, but when it's younger, it often starts as a very deep, untreatable kind of depression, and that was the case with him. Um, it was only later that we started seeing the classic ups and downs of bipolar, um, and he was able to get a, an accurate diagnosis. Um, mental illness can be triggered by by different things and I know that people are often interested in well what's the spiritual aspect uh-huh. of that um, and it's my belief that you know the enemy likes to poke us where we're weak he likes to poke us where we're vulnerable and so for example if my son has um, a loop of thoughts running through his head because of the way his brain chemistry works then the enemy will be happy to insert an evil negative thought mm-hmm. into that loop. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, demons are not driven out by lithium, <laughs> which happened to be the drug that brought my son to stability. So he needed, he needs to take care of his physical health, his emotional health with a therapist, and he needs to take care of his spiritual health. Um, just the way, you know, if, if I have a, a disability that causes my leg to hurt all the time, I need to take care of my spiritual health so that I don't get resentful or discouraged by that kind of disability. Well, I use the word heredity. I probably, I'm thinking back, I should have used the word genetic, Mm -hmm. something perhaps within his genetic code. I don't think, is it something that can be transferred via families or anything? Not to imply that's the case here, but is that, is that within the realm of possibility? Um, it's not as easily traceable as some kind of genetic diseases, but there are certainly groups of mental illnesses that you will find within families. Um, so, so if you have relatives, close relatives that have bipolar or a tendency toward major depressive disorder, um, then you have a, a heightened vulnerability to that. Yeah. Kirsten Panachida joining us today here on The Meeting House on Faith Radio, the author of the book, Among Lions. You are tuned into The Meeting House here on non-commercial Faith Radio, faithradio.org. So we were talking about the, the spiritual elements of bipolar disorder and how to deal with that spiritually. So tell me, as far as your son, from a, from a spiritual standpoint and dealing with these, these elements, is that something that, that he sees the, I guess, the, the, the capability or the opportunity to do? Well, he, he is a believer. He placed his faith in Christ as a child. And he tells people that that was what he clung to, especially during the worst of his illness, during those crisis years. He really, um, you know, he believes that God loves him. He believes that he has everlasting life in Christ. And um, and honestly, you know, I, I mentioned that he did make suicide attempts. Mm-hmm. Those, you know, he won, he won the battle against suicidal thoughts so many days and then these few times he lost the battle and the way he described it to me he said I just couldn't picture myself being able to continue the fight on those days 
But I can tell you that now he is grateful that God did not allow him to succeed at those attempts. Um, and after, the day after his last suicide attempt, he told me, he said, I, I was up when the sun rose and it occurred to me that the sun rises every day. Hmm. And he said, and I remembered that God's mercies are new every day. Oh, that's good. Um, and he, he just clung to that. He, he loves Jesus and he wants to please him. And, you know, a believer with mental illness is not a believer who lacks faith necessarily. Um, they're, they're just battling something very deep and dark. Kirsten Panachida here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to kirstenp.com. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. Also, you can find links to The Intersection, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including recently added content from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the Fall 2021 Christian Product Expo near St. Louis. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.